0: I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. Hi there, Matt Dixon here, and guess what? We care about performance. We want you to get faster, amplify your health and help you do the things that you love to do as long as you can. And so does the team at InsideTracker. And with the insights that you receive from their biometrics gathering, as well as the counsel from their team of performance experts, you manage to get the precise focus that you need to get the most out of your efforts that you're putting in. All you need to do is head to InsideTracker.com slash purple patch, and you can use the code Purple Patch Pro 20, that's Purple Patch Pro two zero, and you get 20% off everything at the store. All right, now, it is our very first video podcast. And so, we get to say, let's get on with the show and enjoy. I hope you have a good time with it. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast, as ever, your host, Matt Dixon, and welcome to the very first Purple Patch show in which we are giving a couple of options of how to consume. You have the first way, which is the old traditional way, the good way. You can take advantage of listening to us on audio at the favorite place where you like to listen to your podcasts, or for the first time today, we are hosting a video production of this. What do they call it now? vpod? I have no idea. Anyway, to get to listen, all you need to do or you get to watch the show, all you want to do is head to the show notes and go through to the link or find the Purple Patch Fitness page on YouTube and you can enjoy it right from there. Video, so fun. And who has the honor of being our first guest? Well, it's a very special guest today. His name is Jan Siberson. Who is Jan? Well, He is the fastest Ironman swimmer ever. He's a former German national team swimmer, and he holds the course record at the famed Hawaii Ironman World Championship. Yeah, the big one. 46 minutes and 29 seconds, and it is a record that he broke in a comeback to the sport at the age of 43. Now, beyond his accomplishments in swimming, Jan is also the founder of Sailfish, a triathlon performance apparel brand that began 15 years ago. And he's built that business brick by brick organically at him at the held without, without capital raise or fund. He has done it himself. And it's a really marvelous story. And I thought as sale fisher, just preparing to penetrate the US market, I really wanted to have a conversation with Jan. And there is really an two channels that we thought about this. So we're going to break this conversation down into two episodes. The first episode today, we're going to go deep diving into Jan's background, a real grounding, understand his mission as he went on building up both his educational career, work experience, and his swimming career in pool swimming and also wanted to do a deep dive into his journey with Sailfish because it is full of lessons. I want to understand how Jan applied a sporting mindset and all of his lessons from athletics to actually building a business, a brand, and a team, and how challenge and adversity throughout sport actually helped him thrive through really tough times in business. And finally, I want to investigate the key lessons that he's drawn from building and leading a business that will be helpful for any leader. And then next week in episode two, we're going to go deep dive into his 35 plus years of competitive swimming experience. Can we get some information and insights from Jan about swimming advice in open water, overcoming fear in swimming and anxiety, Let's dig into his training and his execution of what it took for him at 43 years of age to break that very challenging course record at the Hawaii Ironman. And there is so much more. So this week, it's performance, it's business, it's building, it's athletic mindset. It's a great episode. Next week, it's one for the triathletes and the swimmers. How do you actually apply and train for open water so that whether you're a newbie or an old hand at this, you can excel in your open water swimming experience. All right, it's a pretty meaty conversation today. And so we've decided to bypass Matt's newsings. We're also not going to do word of the week. So Barry, he might even see him because this is a video podcast. But you're going to get an opportunity to have the day off, Barry, because we are going right into the meat and potatoes Guys, I'm very proud and very happy. It's a wonderful conversation. I think you're going to get a lot out of it, both this week and next week. And I want to thank Jan up front for being so generous with this time. It was a marathon session. And so without further ado, we are going to dig in to the main course. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Jan Siberson of Sailfish. It is the meat and potatoes. All right, guys. So it is the meat and potatoes, as we like to call it. And as mentioned, we have a very special guest today. In fact, I'm delighted to welcome onto the show, Jan Siberson. Welcome, Jan. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's lovely to uh, to have you on the show. And we are we need to fasten our seatbelts a little bit because we're going to go through a couple of episodes of information here. And let, let's frame it for the listeners first. What I'd like to do, I think your story is so interesting. And this, uh, this episode or these two episodes that we're recording with you, it really actually came from a, a coffee that we sat down and had with each other at the recent Ironman St. George World Championships and uh, started having a powwow. And after about 10 minutes of chatting to each other, we said, look, we need to put this on recording. I think that there's some really interesting insights and we're going to try and break it into two parts. The first part, today's show, we're really going to dig into the second chapter of your life, at least professional life, where we're going to talk about your business and your journey with Sailfish. And um, and I think that there's some really interesting aspects to dive into around being an entrepreneur, building a company from the ground up and some of your experiences and some of your mindsets that you've applied from that from your first chapter that we're also going to dive into a little bit today around yourself as a professional swimmer, a Olympic swimmer and the course record holder, the fastest swimmer in Ironman racing at the Hawaii Ironman World Championship. But I wanted to also in episode two for next week, we're going to dig in and draw from some of your experience in swimming and provide some insights, recommendations and advice for people that are looking to improve in open water swimming. You have a wealth of experience in that. So so we've got a lot to get going and get through and I hope that you are ready and you don't mess this up and I and I'm sure it's going to be a really interesting conversation. So so if you're locked and loaded, are you ready to go? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, it's just like on the race course, right? Uh, you're well prepared and then you know, there's nothing to fear so it'll hurt at points right it'll, it'll hurt at some point at some stage, but I'm ready to go
0: <laughs> you, you, you will meet adversity you will meet adversity, but you will manage through so so, so let's start off as I'd like to do with with every guest and um, I want to stand i want to ground ourselves our listeners and um, and uh, give me just a, a little bit of a, a background on you growing up, where you grew up, your family, maybe maybe your schooling, stuff along those lines.
1: Yeah, so it all started in uh, in Germany, actually in Bavaria, northern Bavaria, uh, back in 1975 when I was born. Um, went to school there, uh, started, uh, my, my, uh, both my parents were heavily, uh, let's say invested in sports. My dad was a physical education teacher and, um, my mom also a very avid, uh, sports uh, woman. And, uh, so, uh, being a teacher allowed us to go on vacation quite often. And every vacation was pretty much centered around sports uh so i think i got the a full full dosage uh really soon in life and uh, that never stopped uh that really uh, burned itself into my da- dna i would say um yeah i left uh left my hometown when i was 18 uh to finish high school uh, nearby in a, a little bit of a bigger city called würzburg also in bavaria they had a a bundesliga team which is uh, not only bundesliga in soccer but also bundesliga in swimming and uh, we we competed for the german titles uh pretty much every year um and obviously they were faster swimmers uh, was a really good uh really good club and really helped me to elevate my my swimming i uh, went i ended up uh, or had to go to the military uh for a year um back then it was mandatory in germany Uh, but it was a sports um, sports facility so you would do your basic training for three months time and then you would spend the rest uh, training with uh, yeah with um, uh, pretty much an extended national team kind of um, yeah, and then, and then I, uh, after my, uh, my time at the military, I uh, switched teams again, uh, still swimming, um, and went to Heidelberg and also started to, to study there at Heidelberg University. So those were, let's say, the, the first 20 years from 1975 to 1995.
0: And, and just going back, was swimming always your first sport? Did you do any other sports growing up or were you sort of single sport?
1: I did, I did many other sports, uh, growing up. Um, and as a matter of fact, I used, to, I used to be a skier and, um, I was probably more talented in skiing than in swimming. Um, I also raced, uh, skiing for the, for the national junior team <clears throat> all the way till I was 13, 14. Yeah. And then I had to make a decision um, on, on either swimming or, or skiing. It happened to become swimming because there, it, was, it was a lot easier, actually. Also, from a logistical point of view, I, I would have had to move to the south of Bavaria or even to Austria. To become like a real uh, world class or w- whatever a skier, and it was it was just too much of an effort, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. So I ended up uh, becoming a swimmer, but I was also in gymnastics. Didn't like that very much, uh, but once or twice a week, um, I think down the line it helped for flexibility, um, etc., and coordination uh, especially. Um, uh, did a little bit of mountain biking when I was young, um, always uh, took my bike to uh, to school and already tried to uh, set best times on my way to school and on my way back home, which resulted in me arriving at school, sometimes completely soaked, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. But no, it was, it was, and, and, and I was also uh, very early into windsurfing. Uh, so I think I started windsurfing in my early teens um, and I enjoyed that for a long, long time until uh, I became a kite surfer. Yeah, that's still a very big passion. Today.
0: That, that is such a casserole of different sporting experiences. I mean, the, the, the difference with skiing to gymnastics, but it's that, that whole body coordination. So, so let's come back to the ultimate path, swimming. And um, wh- why don't you give us a, a sort of two minute synopsis of your pool swimming career? Because uh, I, I don't think a lot of people realize, but you actually went all the way up to the very top level making the Olympic team, yeah?
1: Um, I didn't quite make uh, the Olympics. I swam Olympic oh, trials. Were... Yeah. So I'm, Olympic trials, that's right, yeah. I swam trials. I took uh, fourth place at trials and you have to take, you know, you have to be second uh, mm-hmm. in order to make it. Uh, back then, there were some really hot guns out there. Uh, Jörg Hoffmann, Steffen Cesner, uh, those guys uh, might ring a bell for the swimmers amongst your listeners. Um, they swam uh, 15 minutes in the 1500 free and and uh, Jörg Hoffmann even uh, 1451, I believe, in, in Perth back in the days. So my best times, um, so I was national team for, for 10 years, uh, junior team, uh, national B team, um, I swam Europeans, I swam worlds, um, and best times were a one back then 152 in the 203, a 356 in the free, and a 15, uh, 47 in the 1500. So this is long course meters. Yeah. I was back in the days that was Okay. Today, you know, you're, you're just getting <laughs> laughed
0: at. <laughs> well, it, it's uh, it's funny. Our, our, our swimming careers were somewhat parallel in many ways. I I was not a distance freestyle. I was a breaststroker and I am a, but, uh, but the folks that I competed against at Olympic trials were Adrian Morehouse and Nick Gillingham, who were the Olympic gold and silver medalists at the time. So my chances of making the team were pretty slim. But I was just, uh, I think it's just that level down. There's that at the top of the pyramid, there's that extra little uh area and i and um and i just looked up i thought i'm i'm not quite that good and uh which, which is great but uh but no there's a very interesting seems like parent and obviously very similar in age so we went through the same experiences I, I think um uh i'm gonna ask about your your training regime in uh in swimming uh later in the show but um but I, I, I want to now dig into your transition into triathlon and, uh, and what was the catalyst for you to take up triathlon? How did that journey occur and, um, and the transition into open water swimming ultimately?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe maybe just one more note on 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 the competitive swimming in the pool. And, you know, you're sitting there pretty much on top of the game, top, let's say, in the in the final of of a national uh, championship, right? And uh, there's eight guys on the block, and uh, and then you take fourth place or fifth place or third place. But uh, – and, and you wonder, you know, you, you've trained 12, 13 times a week. You swam 60, 70K a week, and you're like, no, what – what does it come down to? And, um, I, you know, I, I, I was, I was not fortunate to, to win, to have this win in the swimming world, but then later on in the, in the triathlon world, at least for the swim part, uh, figured that one out. So that was, that was a great, um, yeah, relief or success, um, uh, to get there, but it definitely took, uh, some time and it took, uh, took a lot of work to get there but um yeah um yeah, getting getting back into how did i get into triathlons um so we had uh, in the early 90s, you know, you, you started in, in the swimming pool um, when you were swimming with your team. You started uh, the, to see these crazy people who would, uh, who would not only swim, but then they would get on their bike afterwards or they would come from cycling or they would come from running. And then, you know, they, would, they wouldn't swim very fast and they would always look a little bit ugly. But uh, those were the triathletes. And, uh, and so I became friends with one of them. And uh, he regularly made it to Kona back then in the late '80s, early '90s, and he told me the stories about Mark Allen, Dave Scott, and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh. you know, maybe one day uh, this could be on the bucket list, um, but uh, didn't really think about it too much. Until like mid '90s, uh, I would I would do uh, my first triathlon um, after the swim season. Swim season usually ends in June or July, and um, when that was over, I would. Uh, I got my got this old Peugeot bike where you, where you had still the the shifting on the on the down tube. Um, oh every, yeah, everything mm-hmm. super manual. And let the let the Olympic distance race let out of the water by like I don't know five minutes or so, and eventually got caught on the bike already. And uh, it was the first time I didn't train before. I, I, I said, well, I can ride the bike right, and running I can do that as well. And I remember in T2, when I started to run my knees, it, it felt like somebody was sticking needles into me and it, I was like, how, can, <laughs> how can you possibly enjoy this? This is so painful. Um, <laughs> but, but it was also the first time I, I, I had this, I did this brick thing or of, of riding and, and running. Um, so I did a, another race like a week later and it already felt better. And I can't, And I enjoyed it I mean you know that's that's how we all end up in in the sport because we love it uh, sometimes more sometimes less um, and I said to myself hey let's um, maybe this is something for when my swimming career is over and uh, uh, so eventually my swimming career came to an end in in two thousand I was twenty five and uh, and then it was more uh, a uh yeah well things don't happen for for chance but uh it was more out of necessity of 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 doing something though back then i was living in new york and had a i think we'll talk about that had a quite a stressful job and needed to do and i started to put on some pounds and i noticed that very quickly how the pounds kept, kept on adding and i said to myself after Three or four months of uh, wine and dine and party. Now it's time to get back into shape because otherwise you're just going to balloon. And um, and that's how I uh, that's how I really got got into the sport. And um, there was a race in in the Caribbean uh, in Saint Croix, the half half Ironman in Saint Croix. Still my favorite race up till today. Um, it was absolutely amazing down there. So much fun. Um, I think this is what triathlons should be. Uh, yeah, and and prepared for that by by swimming in the downtown athletic club in New York, by riding up uh, the West Side Highway and running in Central Park, uh, and then and then flew to flew to the Caribbean, uh, had a week of sun, fun, and rum and coke, <laughs> and did, did the race, placed second overall in the age group uh, category, and they had a slot for Kona suddenly, and that that that. That was the start of my triathlon career. Yeah, didn't really plan for it, honestly. I didn't, yeah, there's a lot of things that I didn't plan for in my life, but um, definitely uh was, a, was an exciting kickstart to the whole story that was to follow.
0: Well, in, a, in our second episode, we're gonna dig into all of your swimming experience and hopefully provide the listeners with some real insights and advice around open water swimming and training, overcoming fear, so much more. Um, today we're going to dig into your journey post swimming but, uh, but I do just before we dig into that I do want to just bubble up very briefly just the next couple of minutes talk about the, the swim course record at Kona you went to Kona um, the swim course record was just over 46 minutes by memory and uh, and in fact uh, I, I'm probably the only one that remembers this but I remember in the early 2000s you and I uh, been in the same race and I had heard about this Jan Siebersen guy and I thought, well, I'm a swimmer. I'm going to swim on his feet. I, I did swim on your feet for about 150 meters and then you swiftly got rid of me. But, um, but you were chasing the swim course record in that race through the early 2000s and, uh, and I think got very, very close a couple of times here, yeah, but, but didn't quite get there. Um, what was the catalyst for you to return when you were 43, and go for it again, when you did ultimately successfully break that record, 46 minutes and 29 seconds, my memory is that accurate?
1: That's that's accurate, yeah. yeah. Um, so so the record was standing at um, at 46:44 by Lars Jurgensen. Uh, who happened to be an an Olympic uh, an Olympian in the nineteen eighty eight Olympics, I believe, in the fifteen hundred three. So he knew what he was doing. Yeah. And uh, when I first got to Kona in two thousand one, uh, so I, I raced Kona two thousand one through two thousand four, so four times in a row, and then seventeen and eighteen. 2017, 2018. So uh, my first year in Kona, I was like, you know, this is uh, this is great fun and um, didn't really look at the swim record uh, per se, uh, but really just wanted to experience the whole thing. Um, and it, it ended up being great fun. I was first out of the water swam so some 80, 48 and change. So, so that was cool. Right. But then I thought, okay, let's, uh, and I, and I soon realized that I would probably wouldn't be on top of the, 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 race overall, because I'm, I'm a, I'm a tall and a very kind of heavy guy. Uh, so that I, you know, I knew I would never run a marathon uh, sub three hours or something like that. I wasn't built for that. And also having been training, in, in the pool or in the water all my life and then putting a lot of run load on very quickly. I, I made, I made all the mistakes that you can make as a beginner uh, and, and ran into injury and that, that kind of stuff. So that, that was, uh, why, why am I saying this? Um, why am I telling you this is because that was the, the, the reason I said, look, you know, I got to focus on the things that I can achieve. Or that are reasonably for me, uh, reasonable for me to achieve. And and one thing that would be really cool to have the swim record in Hawaii. Uh so basically 02, 03, and 04 were were really f- I was focused on on getting the record while still arriving at the finish line at a, at a decent hour um and 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 having a solid race. And I think and I think that was, uh, uh, that second part of the sentence while still arriving, um, at the finish line at a decent, uh, that's what killed the record. Because I think, uh, if you, you know, it's number one, there are so many things that so many variables that have to come together in order to be able to break that record. Um, and some of them are not in your control. So one year, it was super, there was super wavy. Uh, they wanted to call off the swim. Uh, basically, the, the night before, there were six, seven, eight-foot waves. And a, a couple hundred people dropped out of the swim. I think it was 2002 or so. And then, and then you know, you had a year like 2003. And I was, I, back then, the swim accident Kona was on the left side of the pier when you come from the ocean. So you had to walk up that ramp, if you remember. So I, I got to the ramp and I looked up and, and, and there was 46, 44 right there, but I had 10 meters to run or five meters to run. And I was six seconds over, right? And, uh, and then I think in the last time I tried it uh, in 2004, uh, similar situation, I, uh, you know, I, I, I basically spent half of the swim race to trying to get rid of People like you and others who sticked on uh, to my th- <laughs> feet longer. But it's so contra uh, productive for your overall performance, because if you go too hard in the beginning, you, you, know, you, you build up all that lactate and it's going to really hurt you towards the end. Um, so those, the, you know, th- there was always something. And then there's always in the back of your, of, of your head, ah, I still got to finish. I, I still want to have a good race. Uh, and so you don't go all out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got, I came back in and, and then I buried the, the, the whole topic because I didn't in 2005, I didn't qualify anymore. And 2006, I was already starting about starting sailfish, uh, thinking about starting sailfish. And then, and then there is 10 years of, of growing the business, growing the brand. And then I'm back in Kona in 2016 and I'm watching the the swim start and everybody who has watched this before knows the goosebumps and the gun goes off and the atmosphere is just so it's electric. It's so second to, to, to nothing else in in the sport, I would say. And I was like, you know, I got to try this again. I I have to, I have to try it again. I, I, otherwise I'm not being honest to myself and uh, yeah, needed, needed uh, two attempts um, for it to work, but it was that hundred percent dedication just on that. Right? I knew, okay, I have to finish the race in order to that the record counts. Um, but being forty three eventually and having so many lifetime miles in you, and we can talk about it uh, in, in more detail um, um, later um, in the preparation and all that. Um, but being at that at that age, you know it's like this, you have to be single single minded and and focused on this one thing. Um, otherwise it's it's not happening and then all the other uh circumstances played out well and there it is 46 there it is
0: (laughs) well i i i can't wait to dig in but i i promised myself that we we wouldn't just go on the uh, the adventure of swimming because i think that you have so much to offer on the other side so so let's actually reverse order we're going to go to chapter two of your life as, I, as I'm labeling it. And we're gonna talk about what you mentioned, Sailfish. And um, and for the, the American listeners, uh, many of you guys might not know Sailfish, but uh, but you are uh, now entering the US market. And, um, but this is a, a really established wetsuit brand. I think you're in your 15th year by uh, cool. fift- 15th year. So let's go back to the, the start of it. I wanna dig in and um, and ask, but what was the catalyst for, deciding to to launch uh, a company a wetsuit brand
1: well, I think that um, you know we have to take another one or two steps back and 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 look at you know where where I come from and what i what i first uh, what, what I did before so um yeah i uh, I graduated in two thousand um, from Harvard and uh, you know and people from Harvard back then. They would either go into investment banking, consulting, or government. Those were kind of like the three options that, that, that you had. Uh, And also, you know, it was was the height of the dot com boom. Um, uh, and basically, if you wanted to, if you had a business plan for pet food, you would get $5 million if you had a one pager. Um, but (laughs) I didn't decide on, on doing that because there was, there was nothing in me that, that was entrepreneurial. I didn't. I, you know, it was, it never crossed my mind. It was get a job and then get going. So, um, I was fortunate enough, uh, to, to get a job with Goldman Sachs in, in New York, uh, and, uh, started there in, in the wealth management division, um, worked there for a year, uh, with high net worth individuals, super interesting, uh, learned a lot about, uh, how to do business and, um, yeah, just just how to conduct yourself in, in the world of business um, it was very, very uh, good learning experience. Moved on then uh, to uh, to the Goldman Sachs office in Frankfurt, uh, switched divisions, worked in the equities division and sold uh, U.S. equities uh, to German institutional investors, uh, completely different than, than the private wealth um, area uh tough hours because uh, you know you'd two or three times a week you'd have to stay until the market closes in new york um but again uh, a very very uh, intense uh, environment um but very very instrumental to building a skill set for for life for later on and um and yeah and uh and then, as I, as, I, as I said earlier, I ended up doing this race in, uh, in, uh, in St. Croix and, and doing Hawaii. And then something happened that in 2002 that the Ironman came from, from Roth, which is today is Challenge Roth. Uh, it moved to Frankfurt. And here I was sitting in one of the tallest buildings, office buildings in Frankfurt. And my boss reads the paper and he says, Jan, the Ironman is coming to Frankfurt. You have to do the race. And I'm like, ooh, you know, I thought, you know, we're going to make some money now. And uh, this is all. No, 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 no. You have to do this race. It's I can see it in your eyes. Uh, you're passionate for this. You have to do it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I went back and forth and 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 I was 20, 27 at that time. And I thought, look, you know, as overall career path, um, let's how about if if I do this for a couple of years professionally, um, then I've, I've had two years of Goldman under my belly. Let's do triathlon for a couple of years and then let's go to business school and let's, and then at the end, then I'm 30 or something. And then I can still go back into, into finance or, or something else. So that was like the overarching plan. Right. But I think once you, you know, once you've experienced Hawaii and, uh, once you've experienced the life of a, of a, of a professional triathlete and I was, uh, then, uh, uh, starting to sell uh, some um, wetsuits on the side from an American brand, uh, and that went that went extremely well uh, because people saw me swimming and they saw oh this guy uh, swims fast he must swim in a fast wetsuit so let's buy his wetsuit um, and that's kind of like when. Out of, yeah, out of chance, I, I became this entrepreneur um, and also as a pro triathlete, you have to be an entrepreneur as well uh, and, and have to, have to see where, where the money comes from, especially um, back in those days. Uh, I mean, it's not much easier today, but, but it was really tough to get, uh, to get companies to sponsor you um so those were like my first steps in in kind of like smelling or or putting my nose into entrepreneurship uh left and right but it did become really serious when when I started sailfish so uh you know i i, I when I reflect on it i would say 2000 uh, maybe five six or so i'd been i had been on the pro tour for a couple of years I'd been selling wetsuits for a couple of years. And I really liked the lifestyle and, uh, I just didn't see myself going back into an office building, uh, every single day and into working in financial markets. Um, it was a super interesting time. I learned a hell of a lot for, for, yeah, for becoming an entrepreneur later on and for how to do business and, and, uh and financing a company and all that kind of stuff. But um, it was way more appealing and way more maybe adventurous for me uh, to to look into doing your own thing and uh, and uh, trying to make a make a living out of a hobby, really. So Mm -hmm. so so I think um, that that combination of seeing the opportunity, the sport is growing. There is a there is a business that offers good margins um, uh, so there is growth uh, it's something that you love doing um, it's something where I thought okay I can even make a better product than, than I was reselling before um, all these factors um, kind of play together and what I was always also what I would also mention is I like having projects that come to an end. So let's say, just like in swimming or in triathlon, there is there is at some point the end of a season, and then there is a break, and then there is some rest, and then you recharge and and you you start again, and you you try to try to do things better the next year. Um, that was really, and that still is really appealing to me um, in 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 contrast to yeah i mean financial markets you can you, in, in investment banking you can obviously look for the next deal and uh, all the time huh? but but that particular the, the the way that our sport was set up and and having hawaii and kona in october and then kind of like everybody goes into deep dive or is is uh, disappears from the face of the earth in november uh and to reappear um, fresh in in december and january huh? I like that, and it coincided with with the business cycle. So, uh, so that's um, that's how I ended up uh, enjoying this and uh, and growing this.
0: It, it's interesting your your uh, your experience with with Goldman and beyond and, and Harvard created this wonderful grounding uh, for you to to go on and uh, and be a, a professional triathlete with a little bit of perspective. And, uh, and actually several of the athletes, my more, some of my more successful athletes had very similar, what we call grounding experiences. Laura Siddle came from working with several uh, years at Shell Oil down in Australia, Meredith Kessler, RBC, Royal Bank of Canada, Sarah Pianpiano, um, HSBC out of Wall Street. And all of them had very similar experiences of, okay, I've done this. Now I'm going to do triathlon, and it came off of this real sort of grounding and perspective of of professional life. In that, then when they went on to a professional triathlon, I think had the that perspective that helped them develop their personal brands, professional relationships, and a real a sense of of great great ownerships, rather than sometimes just falling into the sport and and lacking a real understanding of, of not the real world but but i'll use that just to, to get us there it's interesting i want to ask you about a word because we, we've talked about this and i think it's interesting because ultimately you are an entrepreneur so so what does that word mean to you entrepreneur
1: you know um i think it is for me and and uh, and i think some entrepreneurs might uh, will definitely share that uh, it is. It is. You know. You you have to be good at something in in within the realm in order to. You know. You have to have an idea or you have to have a product or you have to have something that you're really good at. But at the same time, that the thing that appealed most to me uh, as an entrepreneur or still appeals most to me. Is that you need to know, you need to be a very, very good all rounder and you need to know something about pretty much everything, right? Whether it's accounting, HR, uh, marketing, sales, purchasing, uh, product development, uh, you name it. Um, and that, that broad spectrum, um, and, and obviously you, you learn as you go and the, the numbers get bigger and it gets more complex. You have more and more employees and you have to, you have to deal with all these, these different challenges. Um, that's, that's probably the most fascinating part for me because, because you grow enormously, versus you know and and I'm and I'm not saying that that not being an entrepreneur is 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 not a good thing i mean there you know you, if you if you want to climb up the the corporate ladder and eventually become ceo you probably have to be a very good entrepreneur as well because at 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 the ceo level you have to also run all the aspects of a business um but uh kind of like doing it yourself and starting it from from ground zero um you know that's that, that's That's a fascinating way uh, to do it, and uh, it's so rewarding to see it when you when 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 things start to grow and when when people buy your products uh, I, I still I'm still getting a thrill out of it when I look into our online shop uh, every day and I see you know, if I go in through the streets in in Germany and sometimes you see a sayfish product and I'm like, wow, you know somebody actually trusted in in this brand and trusted maybe me and 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 in buying this and, and it's so rewarding and it's so cool to uh, to see that but um, yeah that's all yeah
0: yeah I, I think it's a i think it's a really valid point because uh as a sort of small business owner or or an entrepreneur that absolute necessity sometimes it's stuff that you you really have to grow into and learn and evolve to as well that is not your natural strength and you know who who loves HR or dealing with tax and accounting and everything, but but you actually have ultimate ownership and accountability for that. It's it's always growth, and 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 it's really quite challenging. And uh, and in many ways, I think that's one of the purities of Triton bringing it back is that it's multi-sport, and most people that do it have a weakness of which, in order for them to move to move their performance needle they have to lean into that weakness and grow in that area so there's this really nice analogy of uh, Very nice. of growing yours was running mine was running it was my weakness and I I had to find a way to to improve and now that sort of running purple patch there are a whole bunch of areas that's like I would never have done this if I if I was just uh, you know under somebody's wing instead and doing it myself, which I think is is interesting. Which which leads me to another question. One of the first questions I had for you actually as we were sitting down and having that coffee, because you came from Harvard, you had this runway, you have Goldman Sachs. You're starting a consumer product and um and when you launch a company, consumer product company especially, I'd imagine many business owners immediately heading out thinking, okay, external funding, let's go and raise the capital. Let's give me the big runway and let's go and do it. And you decided to go on the journey of organic growth. Let's call it brick by brick. So that to me is, is fascinating. You you literally did it, have done this on your own, that um, you did not take external capital. So, so how did you decide on that route to, to build it organically?
1: Well, um, I mean, nowadays, you know, there is, there is almost becomes a philosophical question. Uh, Nowadays, there's so much talk about sustainability and, uh, uh, you know, caring for the planet and, and all that sort of stuff. And and then you look at you know you look at the world of finance you look at the world of startups and and again you know it all exists for a reason and it, some of it is is great others uh, sometimes it's it's not as great but you know a, a lot of a big focus in i would say in the in the past 10 20 years and especially when I look at the startup world, it seems to be you know the the get rich quick uh, com or whatever you want to call it, right? And uh, and there is enough people who who get rich and, and and get happy with it as well. But you know, oftentimes how sustainable uh, is what, what what they're doing? And oftentimes I see it with with brands. They come and they go, and uh, and they get sold a few times, and then they 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 fly high, and then two years later they're gone, completely gone. So, um, uh, you know, and it, it, it comes with, with the forces of, of, of investors, obviously, uh, you know, there's, there is different sorts of investors. There, uh, there is, um, the ones that are always sitting on your shoulder and, uh, nagging you. And, uh, and then there's probably the, the more relaxed ones. And then there's in my case, no investor at all where, um, it, you know, it, uh, for me, and I'm, you know, going forward. Maybe I'll, I'll need some funding at some point. And I think if you wanna if you wanna grow it big, uh, you you will have to have that discussion sooner or later. But up to this stage, uh, I managed to grow it um, organically, and by just essentially always reinvesting. But I always liked. Um, I like the freedom uh, of of not uh, having an investors and having being able to make my own decisions, um, and do the things that are were right for the long term growth of the company, and maybe not for a short term uh, profitability uh, from a short term uh, profitability point of view. Um, so that was also that, that was that was always uh, important to me. Um, secondly, um, I also believe that. Sometimes, uh, if you don't have that stress and that that pressure from investors, I think it uh, it's better for for the create for creativity. Sometimes, I would say, because you can dis- decide yourself uh, at the pace that you want to grow or that you want to look at opportunities uh, left, right, and center. Um, for example, I mean, I, I got into the stand up paddleboard business uh, before everybody else did. Um, And, uh, back, back at that point, I would have needed capital in order to make it, uh, make it a viable business, but it's, but, but, you know, I started it in, in, in 2010, I started producing standard pedal boards and, uh. It, it didn't work out because, because yeah, I didn't focus too much on it. Uh, but is it something that, that I would have been able to do if there was uh, investors there. Yeah. We'd well, have to convince them and all that. And then, and then there would be a talk, you know, are we deviating from our core strategy and so on and so forth. So, so I think creativity plays a role in, in that decision of, of, of growing organically as well. Um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, it's uh It's, uh, it's very rewarding. Uh, if you, if you, uh, if you do it yourself and you can look back at it and, and, uh, you know, that you've, you've done it out of your own resources. That's, that's it's a really, really nice feeling. I understand it's not possible in, 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 in many startups, uh, because the, 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 the starting costs are, are so high. Um, but back in the days, and, and also if you, you know, if, 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 you experience that, and that's probably the biggest challenge. You know, if you experience super, super strong growth, um, then you have to finance it, and you have to find a way to uh, to get these funds. And of course, I have a, a credit uh, line with the bank, uh, and I usually uh, order the order my products first, and then I go to the bank and I said, "Guys, I gotta have to confess something. You know, I gotta pay for these orders." And then and then, then they say, Oh, what could go wrong? I say, Well w- worst thing that can happen is you end up with a lot of wetsuits in your bank. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, but you know, it's a it's a partnership uh, on, on all means of, or on all fronts. And uh, uh, it it definitely keeps you focused and and alive, uh, doing it yourself. Yeah.
0: It, 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 it's funny that you you mentioned that you're basically in, in control of your own destiny of growth in many ways, owning it yourself. But but if have there been times, I guess two questions. Have there been times where you feel like the lack of external capital has held back, the opportunities for growth? Uh, I, I guess the stand-up paddle boards is, is potentially one example. Uh, the second, have you got, navigated times of real Emotional and, and practical financial stress with the business at all, or have you just built it really incrementally?
1: Well, I mean, I look at looking at the looking at the situation right now. Right, I'm, I'm coming to the US. We're doing a three months uh, road trip uh, across the entire US from San Francisco all the way to Boston, and I'm I'm looking at this beast at this country, and I'm and I'm and I'm looking at this sheer size of it, and I could think, okay, you know, I could. Do something here, there, 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 and then there is warehousing, logistics, all this kind of stuff. And yeah, there are there are huge capital uh, restraints. And if if I had another million dollars, I would I would know where to put it. But um, but uh, I I still believe it's it's doable. It'll take a little bit longer. Um, but I have a feeling it'll be more, more sustainable and it'll be uh, healthier to grow it from the, from the ground up and I think will be around much longer than just throwing a lot of capital at it, uh, trying to get some sales and then only realizing a few years down the line, uh, ooh, where is the profitability? And, uh, and, and I, you know, I see it with other players in the market uh, where I say, you know, there's no way you can be profitable by the things you're doing. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes, um, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. Um, have there been, to your second question, have there been times where it's been really stressful uh, on the financial side? Oh, yeah, hell yeah. Uh, you know, whenever you place a big order, a purchase order in Asia, and then the, you pay for it and between the time the money has left your bank account and between, and, the, and the product arrives hopefully intact and everything in order in your warehouse and then you start selling it. That's usually a th- two, three, four months uh, time period where you bridge that with your with your own capital and you're a hundred percent in. And if that ship uh, sinks on the way, you better be well insured. Um, but uh you know that can cause a couple of sleepless nights here and there. And that's that happens every year, in usually in January and February. Yeah. So we're we're beyond that we're beyond that point already this year.
0: Yeah, no, and that, that that's great. I, I'm 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 almost smirking because uh your last three or four minutes that you that you chatted there, uh it, what you really talked about was the life of an athlete. In many ways, the long-term progression and building it fundamentally from the ground up, incremental success that over the time you deliver something really sustainable, a robust athlete, and along that way you are still going to have setbacks and challenges and failures, and um, and so it's a wonderful segue into my next question here, which um, which is really around sort of one of my observations, high performers and and I'm going to label you today on a high performer, but a high performer in sport and in life, I would say, um, always have a great ability to navigate failure, setbacks, adversity. So I'm assuming, and uh, you just sort of probably a little bit of into that, but in swimming and, uh, and in your business, I guess um, you've navigated setbacks and adversity. So how have the experience in sport and going through those challenges, how have they parlayed into your business experiences of challenges? Have you, have you made that connection? Have you drawn on some of the emotional side of stuff that you're going through sport and, uh, and applied it to yourself as, a, as an entrepreneur?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, uh, the, the biggest, biggest factor there, um, it really it gave, it gave the greatest teachings in, in sport was for me at least, uh, and especially when it comes to endurance sport, if you have, if you're well-prepared and if you've done your homework, uh, there's really not that much to worry about on, on race day and, and doing, building that, confidence over not only years but decades that you know that you know if you've put in the work if you've rested well that there's a very very good likelihood that you're gonna have a great race Um, it's so similar uh, to to the world of business you know if you have tested your product if you've worked hard enough on it um, if you've tested your systems your website your uh, you know if you've hired the right staff There is very, you know, I mean, there's still a lot, there's still a lot of stuff like, for example, COVID that, you know, nobody, you can't, you can't control that. But you gotta, you know, but everything else, um, if you, I always say to my team, you know, out of, out of 10 big things or 10 big decisions, we gotta get eight right. Mm -hmm. We can, we can screw up once or twice. That's okay. That won't break us. But like seven to eight uh, hits, we 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 have to get that, and we can ha- we can we can allow ourselves one or two or maybe three misses, um, uh, and and that's uh, that's you know we we've had to de- de- to deal with with tons of problems, and you encounter problems smaller ones and bigger ones uh, uh, on a very frequent basis in, in business. But um, you know there there are these days when you realize damn, that's a, that's a big problem now. Like you you're, we're like in big trouble. And, uh, and how do you solve that? And I think then, yeah, you have to keep calm and, and remember that it's, uh, and, and maybe also in, 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 steering the business, not taking risks so big that they can completely shut you down. Uh, I mean, th- those would be stupid risks to take, right. But, uh, so mitigate that mitigating the risk, um, is, is a very important uh, task in my daily in, in business now, uh, so that we're not exposed uh, too much on on any front, and and that can be that can be hiring a second person for for a job just to have a redundancy if somebody uh, doesn't show up or leaves the company or so. Those are those are factors beyond uh, product. Um but it's it's so strikingly similar to to the athletic world, um, what you're talking about absolutely
0: you, you talked about team there and I want to I want to stay on the mindset a little bit and um, and the mindset and the traits around high performance uh, something that I'm really passionate about you, you as a as a sum of your own traits in in mindset in sport what do you think the the biggest one we, we've just talked about the ability to navigate adversity. What are some of the other traits that you really bring to your journey of guiding Sailfish?
1: For me, you know, uh, when, when you run a small business, uh, just, like, just, like, uh, just like you, uh, you know, and you have a team of 10, 15 people, Uh, you, I think you have to make sure that, uh, you know, at least I ask myself that question before I hire someone, you know, would I go out in the evening for a beer with that person, uh, who is supposed to be on my team? So that's, that's actually one of the first questions that I ask myself. And if I'm skeptical about that, I usually don't end up hiring the person, uh, because, because you're so close to each other in, in, in a small business and, uh, and, We still need a lot of all-rounders, so everybody still has, you know, everybody still has their areas, whether it's marketing, product development, or or whatsoever. But uh, what I said before, somebody goes on vacation, and you might not have two people on that one position, so somebody's got to jump in, and uh, and so naturally the team needs to be very close, and and there needs to be a a common denominator of, of of mutual understanding and also comfort uh, I would say. Um, so, so that, that personal level is, is, um, is super important to me. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, uh, when I became an entrepreneur, I had zero idea of HR and, uh, it, it you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes, uh, in the beginning. I, I, I still make mistakes, uh, at, at the moment. I don't think I, I may, uh, you know, I think we have a great team together, uh <laughs> you always think that until until somebody um leaves for one reason or the other but um but I found that uh to be the one of the most important factors in in putting together um a good team uh in in the business yeah yeah that's great
0: i want to talk about a a subject that's uh that's um i think really really important for the times that we find ourselves in, which is stress. Uh, a, a lot of people, in fact, a lot of leaders I know, but but employees as well, uh, are navigating really turbulent times in the world, obviously the last two years. And it's been very challenging. And as we sort of a, a collectively... Emerging back into what we might call the real world, it's it's change again. We've we've all sort of adapted to being at home, and now we're going back out in the world. Goodness me, you're going all over the US on your on your roadshow, and um, but there are, there are times that are high stress. You've competed on the the high stage. You um, own and operate a business that we've already talked about. You have to navigate high stress, and so I'm really interested to know your how you see your relationship, how you view those times of high discomfort, high stress. How do you approach that as a leader and, um, and how do you manage it?
1: Well, you know, first of all, I think, you know, that everybody knows that when it gets stressful, uh, usually the real character comes out and uh, it, it, things can become a little bit more edgy here and there. But I think one of the most important um, lessons for a leader, or for myself, uh, is you need to be able to to steer the the tempo or the speed of a team. So I think when there is quieter times, you also need to you know you need to let go and you need to let them do what they want to do, and you need to everybody needs to relax a bit here and there, and then so that you know, when there's more stressful times, you know, you, you talk to your team and say, look, this is going to happen now. We're going to get through this. It's going to last for four weeks, six weeks, maybe even two months or so, but it shouldn't, if it takes, if it lasts for too long, you probably need more people. I mean, or, you know, one where you get a relook at, at other factors, but, you know, usually stress comes, uh, over, uh, over a halfway definable period of time. And, and, uh, and and if you can balance that, or if you can navigate the the tempo of stress, I think that's already that's already um, yeah uh, half a winner, right? I think the second part uh, or the second realization is uh, just if if you if you live in a in a non-stress environment uh, or completely on, on an island and it's just about zipping pina coladas, you know I don't know how much uh, how much growth comes out of that. Uh, I think. Uh, growth pretty much only happens when there is a a healthy amount of stress, right? If it gets too much, then 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 people start to block, and then nothing works anymore. But if it's a healthy, uh, and, and I found that both in 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 uh, in my athletic career, just like as in business, you know, if. If there is excitement, if there is, if there is stuff going on and it's happening, that's when I thrive. And that's when I think a lot of people who are like-minded, uh, when, they, when they really perform at their best. Um, and it's, it's not necessarily, and, 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 or let's say the more relaxed times, those are better times for innovation, for creativity, Like my best business ideas, I've never had them on a stressful day in the the office. They usually happen over a glass of wine or on a ride or on on talking with someone. Um, But that mixture is so important to have that. Uh, But uh, at the end of the day, stress is inevitable and uh, it'll happen. And and, uh, it's something that I was really well consciously or subconsciously prepared through my athletic career. Uh, so I think I can handle it uh, relatively well, but uh, yeah. Do I make mistakes in stressful decisions and do I sometimes maybe become a little bit uh, too snappy or, or too, too direct or too forceful? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got these issues as well. I think we all do. And I admire the people who, who, uh, who are just completely calm um, uh, in those, in those uh, situations. But uh, um, you know, it's, it always reminds me of of the trading floor on the on, in, at Goldman Sachs in New York. You know, I mean, talk to these people, and they know what stress is all about. And uh, they also need to to uh, to relax uh, at some point. And obviously, otherwise, we wouldn't be talking. A great way to reduce stress is either in the morning or after uh, a tough work day to do some sports, for example, cycling, uh, swimming, or running. Right. Um, so that that obviously helps tremendously. Yeah, I, I think it's a
0: it's a great perspective. Well, to, to finish uh, episode one, I, w- I want to talk about selfish a little bit, and uh, we talked about you as a as a leader, but here you are, fifteen years, you're expanding into the US, and so mm-hmm. I think a lot of listeners. uh Will be interested. Is, is your focus going to be here? Is, is it a singular product? Is it going to be pretty much around wetsuits only? What, what's the plan as you go out around Sailfish? I'm I'm interested to see uh, your sort of strategy going into
1: the US. So, um, you know, I've always been looking at the US. Uh, uh, obviously, you, you do uh, when you when you are in uh, in this market or in a, in a lot of consumer. Uh, consumer product markets, that the US is the biggest market in the world and uh, it's uh, having lived here, having been educated here, having worked here, you know, I always had a fascination for the country. So um, yeah, but um, as I, you know, when I I look back, uh, there were still these other projects with swim record and here and there and and a lot of things on, on the side. So, um, and then COVID hit, obviously, uh, but now looking at, uh, I, I looked at the at the market last year, uh, at the US market, and uh, as I do every year, and I was like, well, uh, it seems like there is a big player that is, look, it seems like he's moving out of, the, or they're moving out of the space. Uh, it, uh, I also was able to hire uh, three years ago, um, kind, of, kind of like my right-hand man at the moment in Germany, who's running the business on a day-to-day uh, uh, on a day-to-day basis, um, and that gave me a lot of uh, confidence and also a lot of uh, strength um, in order to to direct my uh, my energy uh, to a new market knowing that uh, the rest of the business would be taken care of um, very well. Uh, <clears throat> at the same time, we had um, about two years to, pr- to develop uh, another full new product range uh, beyond wetsuits. Um, uh, we, we came out with like uh, over 50 new products this year. So um, I also felt that the product portfolio uh, would now also suit uh, a U.S. launch so those were three, four, and uh, another one or two factors that led me to believe that now would be the right time to uh, to enter the U.S. market, and we decided first to start with wetsuits um, only. That was just to get the system go up and running um, in April, but already now we added uh, we added swimskins, we added accessories, and so on and so forth. So, so we are a full triathlon brand triathlon uh product brand uh you can really get everything from us uh, except a bike and uh, running and cycling shoes um and um yeah we have a we have incorporated in the u.s we have a warehouse uh in the u.s in portland in oregon um and um i've i've taken a five-year approach Again, not uh, not a five-month approach or a one-year approach. So this year and this roadshow, it's really all about learning uh, how this market ticks, how it works. And I can tell you two months into it, uh, I've learned a tremendous amount about this country, about um, the people, about uh, the consumers, about the triathletes, about the open water swimmers, about... How everything is set up here. Um, it's been absolutely uh, uh, a spectacular experience um, so far. And I think it'll help us in making the right decisions with a let's say limited budget uh, to spend um, and in order to grow uh, in a smart way uh, in this country. So yeah, next year uh you'll see um a lot more of us and then um yeah, from a business perspective, I do want to be profitable in, in five years' time.
0: Of course. And it's, uh, you know, you're, you're going to get a lot of, uh, of fans from, from this show because it's, it's a real human story and, uh, and uh, one that I think that we can all identify with. I guess uh, I, I want to give you one chance and, um, and talk about the products at Sailfish for those folks that are not familiar with the brand. What, what should they know? You know so what, what, why Sailfish in a way?
1: well our our credo uh or what what it what it says um underneath our our brand uh sailfish is made to make you faster so that's uh that's our uh, that's what we grow up with and uh it tells you that we are a performance brand um but um it also tells you that uh you know uh here's someone that uh, has been swimming for about 35 uh, 40 years of his life and I think um, uh, and who has also worked on the product itself uh, for 15 years so I still I still develop and fine tune all our wetsuits myself um, of course I give it I give the product also to uh, to beginners to to people who are not good swimmers to get their feedback uh, so that that uh, comes into into the equation as well um, but I think at the end of the day, what uh, what our mission or our goal is, is to, you know, when you have somebody who is a triathlete or an open water swimmer, and if they think about anything swimming related, if they think about us uh, rather sooner than later, um, then we have achieved our mission. And uh, we, um, yeah, we really want to to, uh, help and, uh, to make the swimming experience, a fun experience and a comfortable experience And for those of you who are out there for racing fast, uh, obviously a very fast experience too.
0: That's a great way. Uh, My my last question for today is, um, we have a lot of, uh, young coaches that are looking to build their business. We have a, a lot of actually young entrepreneurs that are just starting their journey in, in endeavors well outside of endurance sports but are ultimately business owners would you have any advice for them as they're starting their journey what would your advice advice for people that are starting their own business or are in the early stages of starting their own business
1: well you know if you if you do it on your own and if you don't have outside uh funding and it's you know that's obviously the way i went and the way i would recommend uh, because it keeps your senses very sharp and you really Look at where you spend your money uh, very, very carefully. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a business, uh, especially the coaching business, I think is super. It's, it's about relationships and it's about communication. And it's really, you know, I say up till today, I tell all my sales folks, it's one wetsuit at a time. know we're not selling bulk we're not selling a thousand wetsuits at a time we're selling one at a time and it goes and communication goes such a long way you know talking to people following up with people being reliable uh being sincere uh paying your bills on time um and 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 also every every you know every week uh take a step back from the dance floor and uh, go into the stands and look at what you're doing. Uh, try to reflect on what you're doing. Um, that, I think, is really important because you can, you can get caught up so much in the day-to-day business that you lose sight of, of the overall goal. And a good friend of mine, he once told me that the CEO of a company does not work in the company. He works alongside the company. And I think that's a very, you know, at some maybe not in the beginning stage because you don't have anybody who does the dirty work. You so you have to do it yourself, but at some point, uh, it is so important uh, to take that step back and to look at your organization and and look at it from the outside. Try to try to put yourself into the onto the outside of things. And you will see a lot about uh, um, about what you know you should be doing, and usually uh, you know you're, you know then yourself what you need to do.
0: Yeah, so, so, I mean, somewhat on a parallel path, I could not agree more. And um, and in fact, so, just sort of trying to rise up a little bit myself and uh, and get out the weeds. But the we don't talk about obviously one wetsuit at a time, but we talk about our athletes has been more than a number. So every athlete has their own journey. And it's very important, no matter how close their relationship is, obviously at the at the very nucleus athletes, the small number of athletes that are working with me directly, but as they go out to our coaches and then on our squad programs is every single one of those athletes is has their own journey that's really important to them, and they are putting out their trust in us, and so we must build the relationship. And if things do start to go wrong, we need to course correct. We need to support them in in any area. So it's exactly the same mindset of uh, it is relationships, and you and that is a great investment. So it's wonderful. Well, uh, Jan, thank you so much. I, I we, we're going to take a pause and a break, and then we're going to invite you back next week, and we're going to draw on that thirty five, forty years of uh, of swimming experience to. Um, to hopefully provide some some really interesting perspective, some storytelling and some advice around helping people, no matter what their level is, get faster. But for today, I, I wanna thank you so much and uh, really appreciate your journey. I also wanna offer you best of luck in the journey as you, uh, as you expand Sailfish, you're a great leader and really thank you for coming on today.
1: Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate the time and uh, I hope to uh, see and hear all of you back next week. Cheers, guys. Cheers.
0: Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time staffed people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Cheers!